Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 9 of Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence's Compliance Clarified podcast. My name is Susanna Hammond and I'm Senior Regulatory Intelligence Expert here at TRRI. Now today I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Lindsay Rogerson. Hello Susanna. Now, today's episode is all about technology and skills. Technological innovation and digital transformation are changing the face of financial services. Now, firms, regulators, policymakers, they are all having to come to terms with a fast changing technological environment with challenges ranging from cyber resilience to the rise of new product classes such as cryptos and the use of fintech and regtech. And of course, the compliance function, they not only need to keep pace with all of that change, but also need to be in a position to advise the firm. Now, meeting the challenges of technological innovation needs the appropriate skills. Now, as just one example, and this is back in 2019, the International Monetary Fund reported on the profound dearth of the specialist technical skills needed to combat cyber attacks and build cyber resilience. The depth of the issue was shown in an IMF survey of 40 developing jurisdictions that revealed 92.5%, basically all of them, face skills shortages in cybersecurity regulation and supervision. Now, the IMF then went on to state that anecdotal evidence points to a similar situation in advanced economies. So not something to be taken lightly. So, Lindsay, now, how do firms tackle such a profound technological shortage? Is this a top-down approach needed? Um, I think it's both, to be honest. I think it's top-down and bottom-up. But if we start with the top-down, I think, I think you know, because that's obviously who has to make the decisions in all of this to to get it get it moving in the, in the first place. But I, I just want to add a couple of um, stats to to those that you've already shared from from, from the IMF, um, Susanna. First, if if I may, and so there's uh, there was research done by the Financial Services Skills um, Commission in the UK just in the last year, so during lockdown. And, and they observed that there's a already a 20 to 30 percent um, supply demand uh, shortage um, in in the um, technology skills area in financial services. So we're already behind, and it's it's going to get worse. Um, there there are just a couple of other um, data points um, bef- before we we delve in um, to just highlight the 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 actually the the level of the situation um, and particularly these are UK stats so we all know that the UK is is one of the foremost financial global financial centers but actually uh, if you look at where we're ranked in globally in terms of technology and and data skills we're 24th in technology and we're only one notch higher up 23 for data so there's a there's a big there's a big difference there between where where we are currently and where we might end up if we don't start addressing these 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 issues now and so to to your point is it top down obviously the 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 board controls controls the 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 money and so to that extent it is top down but how do you do top down how do you know 
where you should be going. I think that's the, the, the starting point. And I know we're going to come on to talk about where compliance fits into all this and where compliance can add value. But um, I think the, 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 the first thing is actually getting people onto boards who um, have the required skill set um, or at least can speak tech. Um, and that, that isn't always easy, and it's especially not always easy in financial services because, as you know, Susanna, our regulators have some have strict rules about who can be on a, on a bank board. And so you can't often just ship in somebody uh, from, from outside. Um, so, so I think that has to be the first piece of this. The boards have to get themselves skilled mm -hmm. um and and is that a question of the boards themselves recognizing they need those skills um i mean you've got to know you have a problem before you're going to be able to solve it yeah i think you would have to be pretty tone deaf to be on a big financial services firm sitting on a board of a big financial services firm today and not not appreciate that there is a problem and so um you would expect that it is a regular board item and that they are working their way through how to fix it. And I have some examples of, of firms that, you know, have actually already been through one cycle. Lloyd's has done one cycle of, um, of a three year assessment and, and plan to, um, upskill and look, look for the gaps. First of all, sorry, look for the gaps. First of all, and then work out how to fix it and then it's and, and also acknowledge that it's an evolving thing and so once you've done a three-year cycle you have to start all over again look for the gaps and um, because as we all know technology is moving so fast um you know that you can't just be complacent and assume because you've done it once it's one and done it's never it's not going to be one and done um, yes and so i i know you um have some thoughts on on where it goes where it goes wrong um well i mean and i know this is slightly old news um but there really is the cautionary tale of dr pester who was the former chief executive of tsb you know tsb as i'm sure you know was a spin-off from lloyd's which Lindsay's just mentioned but tsb when they were um a very newly separated bank and entity had enormous IT issues and outages, which meant that basically customers could not access their online accounts. Now, the problem was so profound that it ended up at the UK Treasury Select Committee and almost without an unprecedented letter was sent from the chair of the Select Committee, basically saying that they had lost confidence in Dr. Pester. And the reason for that was Dr. Pester's lack of understanding, let me put it that way, lack of appreciation of the issues that were being undertaken. And with regard to the technology, with regard to how quickly it could be fixed, with regard to really the nature of the impact of the technological issues. And if any board needed a cautionary tale, that has to be it. Um, it is perhaps stating the entirely obvious that Dr. Pester is no longer the chief executive of TSB. I mean, you do not survive the Treasury Select Committee saying it's lost confidence. It is an absolute spotlight on all members of your board need to have at least the basics of the understanding 
of what the firm does and how it does it and how it uses technology. I think nowadays that has to be the base plate of where you are with regard to financial services firms. And if that requires upskilling, terrific, but it may well be that it requires a non-exec or two, or if you can find them, a full executive who has that technological knowledge and understanding. Yeah, and, and actually, to, to your point, Susanna, I mean, it's not just the, the, the financial firms themselves, the financial regulators, the FCA has, you know, in the last 12 months recognised that it needed somebody with this to bring in somebody with a digital um, intelligence um, information mindset into and expertise, obviously, into the, the board. And they've created um, the, uh, you know, an executive function with, um, you know, for, you know, with, with this. Um, and that's uh, Jessica Russo, who just started in the last month, I think. Um, and she is the uh, chief information data and intelligence officer. Um, so, you know, so adding a, adding a new uh, executive uh, suite uh, membership membership role. Um, the, the one thing I would say about the FCA, and I know we've talked about this before, so I won't go on too much, but it, it did seem slightly odd that at the same time they were recruiting that individual, they were pressing ahead with their transformation project because as we all know, um, that is about becoming a, a di digital data-led regulator. And so you would have thought you would want the person who has that skill set in charge of that project from the off, but hey-ho, we are where we are. I just want to um, mention a couple of things, which again, sort of uh, speak to the urgency from regulators about getting the correct and the and the volume of suitably skilled people into um, into financial services firms. So um, yesterday we had the Bank of England warning about you know the risk from cloud, everything going to the cloud. Today we've had um, the um, uh, Biz talking about um, cyber risks and the increase of cyber risk um, through. The, the crisis. So there is a need for, if regulators are considering these things, there is a need for firms to be sure that they have the skilled individuals in place and enough of them to actually uh, deal with problems and also um, translate. I think there, you know, I, I know we're going to come on to talk about the, you know, uh, the compliance role um, and where compliance thing, but I think one of the things that a, the compliance officer of the future can, or in fact, today can add is this sort of tech literate role. They can translate um, what is needed and also um, check that what is being put in place is actually uh, compliant. You know, we, we, um, we, we, you know, we talked about, you know, we talk about these um, blended skill sets, data, tech, and then the existing compliance suite that's going to, that's going to be needed. And I, and I think that's, um, you know that's that's a very important thing i just have one other uh, kind of scary stat from from the last 12 months about job shortages so and this is financial services jobs um there was apparently there was a, a job job adverts um increase looking for people with c sharp which is a computer language for those that uh, don't know uh, had gone up 320% and those looking for this financial services jobs again looking for python 
program people who could uh, code in python have gone up a thousand percent so you know getting these skills which are were once thought very niche but now are actually uh, you know coming much more to the fore um cloud, cloud engineer architects was another big uh, job um job search in sorry in, in in firms looking for these individuals not necessarily these individuals existing I think the crux of that is that compliance officers, and we're going to say they have always had to be polymaths, but I think one of the challenges now is is the the dichotomy, the decision making that perhaps needs to be made about experienced compliance officers. Do you upskill them into technology, or do you take technology folks and upskill them into compliance? I think that will very much depend on the compliance folks you have or the technology folks you have in your firm. But you're not going to be able to get away from the fact that technology needs to, folks need to understand compliance and the reverse is true for compliance. Compliance folks need to absolutely be able to handle, advise on, understand, use, report on technology and the output of technology. And it's and it's something that we've discussed on several special reports and that sort of thing. But the nirvana for compliance folks is to get to the stage where they can truly trust the output of the technology and use that to reinforce and base their risk-based decisions on compliance, decision-making, monitoring, that sort of thing. But you can't have that trust unless you've got the skill set to understand what's happening. I mean, the old adage, garbage in, garbage out, definitely hangs true for RegTech, for instance. You've got to understand what you're doing, what goes in, and then what comes out. Now, this, this is perhaps showing my age, but I get the sense that the younger generation are way more comfortable with all of the technologies that are now flying around. So, Lindsay, is bottom-up a better way to go around all of this? I mean, do we need to get the young, gosh, I'm sounding as old as Methuselah here, do we need the young people into financial services here? Well, I think I think we do, um, and therein lies part of the problem. Um, financial services is not the attractive destination of choice for a lot of graduates now that it once was. Um, I, I'm I'm, I'm going to paraphrase her a bit, but um, Helena Morrissey uh, said at a conference a couple of years ago now that I was at. She, you know, she said, you know that her kids and their friends wouldn't be seen wouldn't be wouldn't be seen dead in financial services basically um you know it was toxic after the 2008 financial crisis and it, that of course is a sweeping generalization it won't be toxic for everyone it's still a well paid industry we are it's still a well paid industry so um but you know those tech graduates are you know uh, the tech firms are more shiny, you know, and so there is a there is a there is a a piece of work to be done there to to um, bring in more graduate. That said, I think we are starting to see um, a fair number of um, various um, initiatives to sort of to write that and to 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 bring in younger people, and the, these range from. Um, apprenticeships. So the financial services authority, uh, financial services authority. I'm in the wrong decade there. The financial conduct authority um, has um, 
currently has apprenticeships um, and these are for uh, school leavers. So um, for cybersecurity, for um, uh, data, uh, data tech and um, and and then actually bizarrely they have a separate one for compliance and risk. So they're not quite seemingly yet, at least in their apprenticeship program, merging those, blending those skills, but maybe that will that will come. Um, a couple of other ones, Goldman Sachs, of course, it's been well publicized that they have, um, I think they've partnered, but they've certainly, they've created this uh, big base in Birmingham, which is going to be for all their technologists and going to produce their technologists. Um, JP Morgan, from memory, have a partnership with either Bournemouth or Southampton University, where, um, again, for technologists, um, then you know you've got Queen's University in, in Belfast, which has its own. That's the that's the the program that has its own uh, trading, uh, virtual trading floor. So you know, so so universities are starting to, or actually, uh, you know, are, are you know we, we are seeing more of these collaborations. There's um, one of the UK's uh, post Brexit aims uh, is for, to develop quantum computing. There are various universities around the UK who have partnered with um, some financial services firms are involved in it. So that you know, there's the, so there's the, these sort of bringing on the 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 skilled people, skilled, skilled technologists and data scientists of the future. So you know, so that is that is underway. Um, it's only part of the solution. So to, to your bottom up. So that's. The, the young people, but then what you do with your existing workforce, you can't just write them off. And as we all know, if you take the retail example, we're, we're seeing branches close, bank branches close. And um, there are a couple of initiatives to reskill, upskill um, financial services uh, employees with tech skills and redeploy them elsewhere. Um, uh, a while back, I interviewed an Australian um, company called um, With You, With Me, which actually started, um, it, it, it basically, its, its origins are in um, retraining army vets into uh, cybersecurity professionals. And I know in, the, in Australia, they have, uh, they put people into financial services firms. And the last time I spoke with them, I think they were about to start working with UK firms, but I can't remember who it was off the top of my head. Um, so there is also the Institute of Coding, which is a UK government backed initiative, and um, it offers 150 different digital skills courses. And that's being used by financial services firms to uh, help their, well, it's, an, it's to offer to their workforces to help them upskill. Um, just, just slightly tangential to what we're talking about, but apparently um, there is there. It's highlighted in a report I read recently from the Financial Services Skills Commission, um, which is called Skills for Future Success. Um, it talks about um, employers maybe also thinking so as well as thinking how they they get these skills, thinking about how they keep these skills, how they, how they keep these skilled employees in their workforces. And one of the things that they were, um, they highlighted is flexibility and offering more flexibility. And um, 
they they had uh, again um, looked at data through the the last twelve months and uh, just on job postings which mentioned flexibility or part time in them were getting double the number of applicants that those that didn't and so it's just another thing that they're throwing there into the mix that once you've got these employees once you've skilled up your workforce um, and of course that's not a one and done as we've already said but how do you how do you keep them and so you might have to just think a bit more flexibility flexibly um, about how you you know where you ask these people to be based um and when you know etc so um and that feeds into some of the very didactic things being said certainly by some of the us financial houses that you will be back in the office everybody will be back in the office come september oh and by the way you will have to have been double vaccinated by then i mean i i that is in very stark contrast to some of the other messages we're seeing from firms where they are advocating the hybrid working, the flexibility. I think it's Aviva that have said, well, we're not going back to the office. We've worked incredibly well, not in the office. So why, why would we go back? So I think, and we're back to slightly the bottom down piece. You want to attract, it, attract young talent. Flexibility has to be the way to go. Lindsay? Yeah, I, I know. I would just agree. And actually, on, on that very point, um, Susanna, I wanted to just highlight two things. The first is the um, a speech by John Glenn last week, where he was actually talking about how uh, financial services firms need to uh, really think about hybrid and flexible working and what that can do, uh, the advantage that that could have for them in the future as we build back better. Um, and he he highlighted um, an initiative I hadn't actually um, I have to say to to my uh, my bad I hadn't actually uh, come across this initiative before but it's from the Association of British Insurers um, it launched in April it's called Making Flexible Flexible Work and it's exactly about how you attract and and retain your staff. In, in the future and there's 27 different insurers including Aviva mm. signed up to that so um, that was what prompted me to re remember that um, and I will put the link to both the um, Financial Services Skills Council report and the um, ABI initiative in the show notes. Brilliant thank you. The, the other thing I would just add into this particular mix because I mean we, we're repeating ourselves slightly the skills question and the challenges is not a one size fits all. It depends what you're doing and in which business lines and where. But within the firm itself, you do need to remember that balance needs to be maintained between front and back offices. There is no point super skilling your front office if you don't super skill your back office to be able to monitor and maintain it. Um, you know, if you have AI, machine learning enabled whiz bang trading systems and very technologically able traders well very good for you but that doesn't work unless you have a back office to match in terms of the technological skill sets and the means and mechanisms to monitor that so whilst we've been talking if you like in the generalities of technological skills and the need to upskill more generally you need to maintain the balance of where those skills are and front versus back office and sadly it often is versus back office you need to maintain that balance and have upgrades of skills evenly applied otherwise you're actually creating a whole different set of issues for yourselves 
we've had a whole bunch of things being discussed. Lindsay, anything else you want to mention before we get to takeaways? It was it was just on your point about front versus back there because as you know when, um, and to use the example of cloud and everybody moving to the cloud I've seen some very innovative uh, risk and compliance technologies which are um, basically they will sit in the cloud and so sort of put um, their part of for example a Microsoft suite or an Amazon suite of options once you get there. But, but there are an array of them and helping boards choose um, so to, you know, uh, and the executive choose which ones will be right for a business. I mean, that's good that, you know, that's that's a, a skill set in compliance that is needed because there is going to have to be a lot of handholding and explanations and to that point, tech, tech translating, um, even if you have, you know, um, one tech tech savvy or a few tech savvy board members you still have to be able to you know run the risks and explain that and so i do think that's an, that's an important thing and just um on your point about firms of all different sizes um the um the report i mentioned earlier it has some data in there to show that while yes there's a lot of work already been done at the big firms um, smaller firms, financial services firms, this is UK specific data they had, um, which of course employ 50 to 70% of all financial services employees in the UK. Mm. Most of them haven't even started with a gap analysis. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Gosh, on that note, um, takeaways for compliance officers, Lindsay? I think, you know, just to reiterate, <laughs> The gap analysis point, if you haven't started working out what you are going to need um, and how you are going to go and get it, there, there is there, you know, there, there, there are numerous uh, avenues you can go down, but you actually have to work out what you and your business needs first before you can you can you can go and do that. Um, and compliance, obviously, that's their skill set where, you know, that's one of their skill sets, isn't it? So it is indeed. And, and I would sort of add into that that you absolutely need to undertake that skills gap analysis, skills audit, however you want to badge it. But I would suggest get board sponsorship for it because you're in almost a worse position than you start. Because if you do a fundamental skills gap analysis, but then don't have the resources to fill those gaps, that's a tricky place to be. And I think with the board backing for it and an understanding that the technological skills are at a premium, you're going to need the board backing and the resources to fill those gaps. But I would certainly suggest do this sooner rather than later, because as we've made clear throughout all of this conversation, those skills are at a premium and you don't want someone else to get the skills before you can. It, it's kind of that simple. Um, and with that, Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Compliance Clarified. Um, I'll include the links to the ABI and the Skills Commission mentioned by Lindsay in the episode notes, together with a link for further information on TRRI itself. Now, the other thing to mention is we've launched the sixth annual FinTech, RegTech and Role of Compliance Survey. I'll include the link to that in the notes as well. That report will be out by the end of the year, and I hope you find that useful as well. Last but not least, as ever, we would very much appreciate it if you take the time to review the podcast and do let us know any other suggestions for future topics. Thanks again for listening.
Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.